Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, we're going to get started. You go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. And we're going to, we've been walking this summer through going through the book of Timothy. We finished the first uh, Timothy uh, whole book, and now we're starting the second Timothy. And today and next week, you don't want to miss. I'm very excited about today's sermon. I'm excited about next week. I think it's going to be where a lot of people need, need to be in their life, and I think it's what they need to hear. Um, so I think it's important. The book of Second Timothy was written with, right shortly before the Apostle Paul's death. And he had already come before the hearing before Caesar. Uh, it was a waiting trial when he wrote this epistle. And he believed that the Roman authorities would judge him guilty, and then they would have him executed. In prison in Rome yet again, he found himself uh, lonely. He felt himself abandoned, and he felt like he was all by himself in this moment. And Paul recognized that his earthly life was coming to an end as he begins to write this book this epistle to Timothy. And it's essentially Paul's last words that he wants to say to the church. And Paul looks past his own circumstances, his own situations, uh, to express his concerns for the churches, and specifically his concerns for Timothy. And so we go into verse 1, and he says this, This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be the apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell the others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear, brother, my dear son. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you peace, or sorry, grace and mercy and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as, you par as we partnered, or as we parted. And I will still be filled with joy when we are together again. I want you to remember, Paul's writing this letter with great concern for Timothy when he's going through his own circumstances. Paul's not in the best of situations. Paul's not in the greatest of time. Paul didn't have a, a pity party when he said, everything's not working out the way I want. Everything's not going the way I hope it would go. Instead, he shows great concern for Timothy. Verse 5, he says, he says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan the flames, the spiritual gift God gave you. And I laid my hands on you. Today's I titled the sermon, Fan the Flames. I want you to picture what was happening, uh, what the Apostle Paul right here is penning these words. He's writing these words to Timothy because Timothy all of a sudden was beginning to pull back. Ever since Rome had burned uh, in July of 64, 
Nero blamed the Christians, and as he blamed the Christians, there was a lot of fear that grew over the believers at that time. So many of them were afraid to meet, afraid to meet with leaders, and they were beginning to pull back. And the, Paul was worried and had concerns that Timothy was going to do the same thing. Consequently, uh, they, they sought a lower profile. Uh, they were less aggressive in their ministries, and they began to pull back. And so as he's watching this go on, he's seeing Timothy, and his concern is that Timothy is pulling back, pulling away, and he's wanting to encourage him not to do that. Instead, he says, I want you to begin to fan the flame. Paul wrote this epistle to him to remain faithful to his calling, to his loyal heavenly father in the faith. Here's, what, here's, a, here's a word that we're very familiar with, especially over the last year, burnout. Burnout is a term that we use in our culture today when someone is, is uh, definitely feeling exhausted physically, emotionally, and mentally, and they begin to pull away. Here's Timothy's flame, and it's beginning to diminish and beginning to, to pull away. And so Paul's telling him, don't give up. Don't let it burn out. Continue to fan the flame. A definition of burnout is this, exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of prolonged stress and frustration. This is where Paul is. This is where we as a nation have been. This is where we as a culture have been. Prolonged stress, prolonged frustration, everything not working the way we thought it should. The things that we think our government should do or not do. The things that we think our fellow co-workers should do or, or, or not do. The things that we think our, 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 our town, our, our city, our state should do and they don't do. Frustrations at work, frustrations at home, tensions with the school. On and on we go, and as we look back over this past year, you are seeing a nation that is full of burnout. They are exhausted. They're emotionally worn out. They're tired. And, 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 and you know what? We are tendency to be very critical. And we criticize one another. And we criticize those in leadership, and we criticize those under leadership not doing what we think they ought to do. If criticism makes you an expert, I think I should write a book. I'm going to give you a few criticisms today that I've experienced or that I've had said to me since I became lead pastor of this church. Uh, by the way, July 3rd, Sondra and I uh, celebrated 15 years of being at the church. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but we became the lead pastor in December of 2016. And I, this is only a fraction of some, some criticisms we've received uh, as being the lead pastors. But I, I want to share them with you. And tr I tried to make this not too poignant towards anybody. So these are probably ones that I've heard more than once. You're too fat. You said nobody would really say that. More than one person has said that. <laughs> Your pants are too tight. No, I got fat. <laughs> it's okay. You don't care about the older people in the church. Next week from an older person in our church. Every time I call, you, or every time I miss, you call me too much. You preach too long. You preach too short. You tell too many stories about your family. You should tell more personal stories. You shouldn't preach on tithing. You should talk more about giving. Why don't we sing more hymns? Why don't we sing more of the newer songs like the youth sing? Why don't 
you let the Spirit move anymore. When the Spirit moves, I freak out and want to leave. You shouldn't have closed the church during COVID. Why didn't you close the church sooner? Why did, why did you make everyone wear a mask at church? Very next Sunday, no doubt. I promise you it was the very next Sunday. Why are you not making everyone wear a mask on Sunday? You're not patriotic enough. You shouldn't talk about politics. One of my all-time favorites is the guy who got mad. He said me an anonymous letter and was upset that I didn't respond to his anonymous letter. <laughs> to which, just so you know, I don't respond to anonymous letters. The, the comment made is only as good as the name on it. So if there's no name, it's worth nothing. The value is in the person's name. And so if it's an anonymous letter, we usually throw them away. So if you want to have a problem or you want to deal with something, you come to me, we'll work it out like believers because we believe that we should. That's what the Bible says. If you have an issue, go to that person. So, anyway, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to address it from the pulpit. And then someone told one of my kids that my parents left your, the church because your dad's sermons are too scripted. On and on I could go through criticisms that I received as a pastor. These are mild at best. They're not even some of the most hurtful ones. But I share them with you to be very open and honest with you because I want you to understand, I know what it's like to be criticized. I know what it's like to be with a family and pray with them at the hospital, be there when they have lost, dedicate their babies. I could be the first one when their kids tell me they're pregnant and they're not married and they don't know how to tell their family. And then in a moment, everything changed, and everybody wants to talk, and everybody wants to gossip, and everybody wants to leave, and everybody wants to turn their back on you. Then I have to remind myself, they did it to Jesus. Why wouldn't they do it to you, Brian? <laughs> so easily, they, they built up Jesus. And if you remember, when Jesus began to talk about, uh, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple, the Bible says many of the disciples turned away and left him that day. Sometimes you say things that, or make decisions that affect people differently, and not everybody is going to do it and follow along and be behind you. But that's okay. Because you know what? My motivation isn't behind that. My motivation is to continue to fan the flames of the spiritual gifts that God's put in me. And so should yours. We have a higher calling than the critics. We have a higher calling than those who don't do life like you, like they think that you ought to do it or you think that they ought to do it. We have a higher calling. And none of this thing should cause us to pull away, pull back, and give up and stop persevering. You have been called for a higher purpose, and your call is greater than the voices on the Internet. T.D. Jakes wrote a new book, and he was doing an interview this past week uh, about it, and he had a great line. He said he talked about, how he was writing for the Washington Post, and as he was writing for the Washington Post, he did an op-ed, and after he wrote this op-ed, the next week, he looked down and he watched all the comments, and he saw criticism, 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 and he says, well, I guess I wasn't called to write op-eds for the Washington Post. So he didn't write anymore, and then after a while, he gets a call from the, from the editor there and says, Bishop, you're not going to write any more op-eds for the Washington Post. He goes, I, I just figured I'm not very good at it. She goes, what makes you think that? What makes you say that? And she, he said, did you read all the comments? 
And her response to him was so great. She said this. She said, the average reader of the Washington Post has a master's degree. The average commenter in the Post can't even spell. And he said, I thought to myself, I'm responding to the people who are not my target audience, and I'm responding to people, and I'm allowing people basically in the cheap seats to dictate what I'm doing. Your call that God has put on your life is greater than any voice that you hear or see on the internet. It's greater than the weariness. It's greater than the sorrow. It's greater, greater than the frustration. A lot of people have experienced church hurt. We have very rarely got online where I haven't read something about someone complaining about how they've been hurt in church. And other believers who mean to uplift and mean to encourage one another wind up hurting one another. And we, 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 we see people go through great emotional hurt all because of what someone said to them in the moment of not knowing all the facts, of getting not all the, the, the information, and they make these calls. So I want to talk to you about fanning the flames. I want to give you five keys today about how to fan the flame. Number one, the very first thing is you need to remember the roots of your faith. He goes on and he says, remember your genuine faith, for you share uh, a, the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know the flame still continues strong in you. Here's what he's talking about, a generational faith. You need to remember your roots. Some of you said, I didn't come from a Christian home. You know what? You're here today because someone who had gotten saved, who let, followed the Lord, handed down to you what was handed down to them. You may have a spiritual father, a spiritual mother in the faith that you didn't even know about, that you didn't even realize or understand. But there is a generation after generation of faith, and we need to remember those who have gone before us, and, and, and they endured. This is not the greatest trial the church has ever faced. What we're going through is real and relevant to what we're going through in this moment, but what we're going through isn't even the greatest trial that the church has ever faced. When I read through the Old Testament where you see stories of people thrown in lion's den and people that were burned alive and people who were staked and those who were crucified went through great persecution, this, this is a horrible thing. This is unprecedented time for our nation, but this isn't even the worst time our nation has ever been through. But we have allowed things around to affect us and we've allowed things to shape our thoughts and our emotions to the point that we have allowed ourselves to get burnt out on things that are happening around us and we've allowed it to get in us. There's a danger for us when we allow bitterness to get into our heart. I've got a whole type. You know what I remember? I remember coming in late at night and I remember hearing my mother pray for me. And I remember my mom praying. I remember going over to my grandmother's house in the morning sometimes before work when I would get up or I'd go over there for lunch and she'd have her Bible open and she'd be reading her Bible and her scriptures. And she'd be, I'd say, what you been doing, grandma? Oh, I've just been praying, reading my Bible. I, there's a generation of faith that's gone before me. I remember going and Sandra and I stayed over at my mother-in-law's house and my father-in-law's house. My mother-in-law would get up early in the morning Turn the little lamp on the, uh, on the little den or in the living room. 
And she'd begin to read the Bible and study the Bible. We'd get up. She goes, oh, I didn't disturb you, did I? Because she was praying over us, and she was praying for our family, and she was praying, and Papa was praying for us and, and believing for us. Listen, there's a generation. For many of you, we've got to hold on. This is not the first round. We can't endure. We can make it. You just can't give up. You've got to fan the flame of those who have gone before you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8-10 through 10 says, We thank you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the providence of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond the ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learn to rely on God who raises the dead. Man, I could stop right there and just say, if we don't do anything else, learn that no matter what you're going through, no matter the pressure, feeling crushed on every side, learn to stop relying on yourself and start relying on God. The problem is so many times we stay in situations because we want to fix the situation. But God's saying the whole time, I want you to give it over to me. I want you to hand it to me. It's beyond what we can endure, but we think we can somehow maneuver, figure it out, think through it. Because we think we're so smart, we can fix it. But God's just waiting the whole time, just give it to me, I can take it. Just give it to me, I've got this taken care of. Just give it to me, I've got it all ready to go. Just give it to me. Verse 10, the Bible, it goes on, and Paul's writing, he says, And he did rescue us from the mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and we will continue, and he will continue to rescue us. Some of us need to remember what God's done in you. Some of us need to remember when God answered a prayer. Has God answered a prayer for anyone in here? Has God ever healed anyone in here today? I tell you, I've been healed. I remember praying for many people in this room, and now you're healed, healed of cancer, healed of back disease, healed of heart disease. God has turned things around in your life. God has touched you, believed, and, and, and done something. Have any of you ever seen a miracle? Do you know someone who's experienced a miracle? I think we need to get to the place where somebody in here is ready to say, God, you've never failed me, and you haven't failed me yet, and you're not going to fail me in the future. You were the same today, yesterday, and forever, and I'm going to put my trust in you. God's never failed us. The second thing to fan the flame is we need to declare the word of God over our life. The word is powerful. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. There is the power of life and death in your tongue. What you choose to say over someone. Do you speak life or do you speak death? Do you speak encouragement or do you speak negativity? Do you speak life or criticism? What do you speak when you talk over to someone's life? And what do you speak over your own life? Here's, here's what I'm learning coming out of 2020. Many people are only speaking negative about other people. The same things they've been speaking negative about themselves in their own heart. I'm unhappy. I'm miserable. I'm down. Everything around me is falling apart. I'm never going to make it. It's never going to get better. I just want life to be normal. I'm feeling negative, and it causes me to get 
aggravated and frustrated and crushed on the inside. And so what do I do? The minute someone pushes me, it spills over onto them. And then I spill out the most vicious, terrible things to someone else. Why? Because of what's already been brewing in my heart. Because it's out of the heart, the, uh, the abundance of the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart. It's the overflow of the heart that's spilling out on other people. So you're catching what I'm already upset about. You're catching. I'm only saying to, about you and to you and about other people and to other people what I'm really feeling about myself. When your faith is weak, you've got to remember. When you're emotional, when you're exhausted, you've got to go to the source of life. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the good news about Christ. The word reveals truth. The word defeats the lies of the enemy. The, it brings clarity and vision. The word grows our faith. I've got to speak the word of my life. I don't want to speak my opinion over my life. I want to speak the word of God over my life. I want to know that when life says I'm not going to make it, the word of God says I am. I want to know that I have sure footing, a firm foundation, and whenever I speak the word of God, that says that my enemies will fall at his feet. Not my feet. So I can't win this on my own. I've got to say the battle's not mine. It's yours, Lord. The battle's not something I can win. It's yours, God. So I'm laying it at your feet because you're going to take it on. I can't do anything for my family. I can't do anything for my friends. I can't turn this job around. I can't make my business better. I can't do anything. But God, today, you can. So I'm giving it over to you. And the minute I take it out of my hands, it's amazing to see what God does. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, it exposes our in most in, innermost thoughts and desires. This word of God is powerful. It's living. It's breathing. When you speak the word of God over your life, when you pray the word of God, it will not return void. There's power, there's life in this thing. You have to trust what it says. You have to give it to God. You have to speak it. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to the word of God. Don't just listen to it. Don't just listen to what the preacher says about the word of God. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Do we know this, that faith without works is dead? doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter if I believe what Pastor Brian says. It doesn't matter if I believe what anybody else says. If I don't put actions with my faith, it's dead. Most of our prayers, most of our uh, deeds, most of the things that we've been believing God for fall flat because we leave it with just, man, that's a really good thought. Or, wow, that really stirred me a little bit in the moment. But we don't put any actions with our faith. For this church to do what God has called it to do, reach the lost, reach those that are hurting, to, to be Jesus with skin on, to reach this generation, we are going to have to put action with our faith. You are his hands, you are his feet, you're his voice. You're the ones to reach out. Who's going to reach your neighbor? You are. As God empowers you. The greatest thing that's going to change a generation is when believers start doing more than listening and start just not and stop just nodding their head and they begin to put action steps with what they're hearing. 
That's what's going to change a generation. Nobody cares what you say. They care what you do. Because, they, because talk is so cheap and so many people do it. Third thing, I believe if you're going to fan the flame, you need to reconnect with other believers. Our whole goal in 2021 is life is better together because we don't believe that we can make it by ourselves. We're stronger together. We're a cord together that can't be broken. We're better together. There's more power when we come together. When we pray together, when we lift up one another together, most of the time we're feeling defeated because why? We're isolated. When we are isolated, we begin to believe the lies that nobody cares about me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm all alone. Nobody believes in me. Everything's going to fall apart. We begin to believe the lies. The enemy will convince you to stay away from church, and he'll tell you things that you don't deserve to be here. Do you know how many times somebody comes here and says, I just can't go to church. I just can't stay in there because I, I just feel so bad. I don't deserve to be here. God, 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 how could God help me with, with everything I've done, with all my past? Listen, you're the reason why he came. You're the reason why we exist. This, this, Jesus said, I didn't come to, to save that which was saved. I came to save that which was lost. This church is a hospital for the sick, not for the well. Every soul really does matter, and your soul matters, and God cares about where you are. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, Let us think of new ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. Verse 25, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need to be here with one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to lift up one another. And we should not neglect coming together. I, listen, I am so thankful for our live stream. And I'm thankful for everybody watching on our live stream. I'm thankful for those that are sick or could be here or physically not able or in another state that watch online or watch after the fact. But the truth is there's nothing like coming together in the house of God. There's something about connecting with other believers. There's something about being there for one another, lifting up one another, praying for one another. There's something different that's just more than just watching and listening online. It's connecting with one another. We need that. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What does that say? Listen, that very first verse, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. It's better that we, we, we do an open rebuke of someone we care about than to hide our love from someone. This is a, now more than ever before, we need to reach out, encourage one another, lift one another up, uh, love one another, be there for one another. Now more than ever before, we are a generation that needs one another. We need our young, our middle group, we need our older group, we need us all to come together, we need to lift one another, encourage one another. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about when we come together. Number four, start serving and using your gifts again. If you're going to fan the flame, you need to be using what you got. 
There's nothing good about hidden talents. There's nothing good about withholding what God's blessed you to use. Don't neglect the gift. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, This is why I remind you to fan the flames, the spiritual gift God gave you. When I laid my hands on you, start by faith, not feelings. If you're waiting to, feel, to start feeling unselfish before you start using your gifts, let me tell you, it's never going to happen. If you're waiting for a certain feeling and all of a sudden you're just going to say, you know what, I don't feel selfish. I, need, I now need to start giving up my life. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to start. There's something powerful when you begin to do what you don't feel. There's something powerful when you begin to use what God's given you and you begin to serve out what God's blessed you with, with the gifts he's given you. There's something powerful. All of a sudden you want to do it more. It doesn't happen beforehand. A lot of people neglect their gift. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14 through 15. We covered this a few uh, weeks back. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you and give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into the task so that everyone will see your progress. You gotta use what you got. You gotta serve with your gifts. Whatever God's called you for. Listen, it doesn't matter your age. We, we've got something that our young kids, church people can do. We've got something that our older group can do. We've got pe- things for every age group. We need more Vicks in the church. My goodness. I told Vic, I said, look at the crowd today. I said, after you went on, on, on air at KY3, everybody started coming back. Uh, <laughs> we should have a Vic on the news every week. But, but it, what was also awesome is to watch... Vic connected with other believers from other church this past week at the game on Thursday. Right after that, that piece aired about Vic, you saw all these people high-fiving, hugging him, loving on him. Why? He's been there so many years. You know what? We need other people to be like Vic. We need people that are loving on our kids at the front door, loving on people that's had a bad day, a bad week, loving on couples that just had a fight in their car that are getting out that makes it all of a sudden Vic's there smiling. And we need more people like that. We need people that that will stand in the gap in our kids' church, our next generation, our youth ministries. We can't complain about the next generation's not getting better if we're not participating. What is God calling you? And we have an amazing kids and youth ministry. I'm telling you, you ought to be blessed. When you see kids coming up here to the front and worshiping God, it's not always normal at every church. It's not normal when they're praising God, lifting their hands, unabandoned, and coming in front. Not every church does that. We don't all have youth leaders and youth pastors like we have here. Our kids just got back from kids camp. Man, they're on fire. They're ready to go. Man, I'm so thankful for those who work in kids ministry, those on Wednesday nights that have sacrificed in classes to make sure the Word of God is in our kids when they don't need it, uh, so that when they do need it, they can say, I remember back at that girl's ministry class, I can remember when I was in Awanas, I can remember when I was in JBQ, I had the scripture, and it came to mind right when I needed it, and all of a sudden I didn't feel bad anymore, I felt like God was with me, why? Because you were investing in the next generation, and we need more of you guys. If you want to get connected, get in life groups. Get involved with one another. Connect with one another. And if you want to serve, man, go through growth track. You don't want to miss an opportunity to serve. What is God calling you to do next? And the last of all, then I'll, I'll close up. you got to get a fresh vision. Burnout is a vision problem. Burnout happens when you can't see beyond your current circumstances. Proverbs 29, 18 says, When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Or rather, 
Without a vision, the people perish. Sin happens when we're tired, when we're lonely, when we're bored. If you're taking notes, write this down. The secret to sinning less is dreaming more. The secret to sinning less is dreaming more. God has got a desire and a vision in you, and there's something that when you begin to pray and God puts a God-sized vision in you, that you get a vision for your marriage, you get a vision for your career, you get a vision for your life. Everything takes on new meaning when you get a fresh vision. And man, I am praying over you today that God would birth in you a fresh vision to make you want to raise up and, and believe that God's got something in store for you to help you fan that flame of the, of, of the gifts that God's given you so that you'll use it during this time for this generation. Listen, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Even though everything seems against you, even though it seems like you're facing the worst time of your life, let me tell you, just keep fanning the flame because God's got something great right around here, the corner for you and for me. As we're closing up, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I, I'm just going to say right now, don't miss next week. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. It's one of the very first scriptures we taught our kids whenever they would go through the night and they'd get scared. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we're going to talk about fear next week. Let me just say this. Fear has derailed more people than drugs and alcohol. If you're here today, this is, this is the end of July. And as we end this month and we're getting ready for August, man, school's about ready to start. Lives are fixing to get back in order. And what I believe is God's telling you this is the time to start getting your life, your family in place, in order with what you believe that God's calling you for. God is wanting to stir up the gifts in you. God is wanting to fan the flame in you that he's called you to do. You are the greatest missionary your family has ever seen. You're the greatest missionaries the school has ever seen. You are the greatest missionaries that your job has ever seen. You are a light in a very dark world. What are you going to do with it? Do you know if you take a coal out of the fire... And you set it by itself, that coal begins to get dimmer and dimmer and burns out. But if you put it back in the fire, all of a sudden it'll light back up and it'll get reignited. Some of us have been away way too long. And God's wanting to bring you back into the rest of the, the people. And God's wanting to fire you back up and get you re-excited about what God's done in your life. I wish somebody in here could remember the very first time they got saved. When God did such an overwhelm, you walked around the next day, you felt different, you smiled for no reason, you treated people with kindness. If you were young, you, you, you lost the attitude with your parents. I wish somebody here could remember the first time that God healed them. That someone said a prayer over you or someone next to you, and when they walked away healed, you just thought, man, something's different. I didn't think God really did that. I didn't know that God still moved. I didn't know that he still did miracles. I didn't know these things still happened. I had no idea. But something's different on the inside of me. I wish somebody could remember the first time they saw a miracle. 
I wish somebody could remember the first time they experienced God. It's power at work. For some of these students, it was this past summer, just a few weeks ago at camp, the very first time. But I remember, I remember God moving in the altars and, and crying my eyes out at an old false passion altar. I remember Brother uh, uh, Aikens holding my elbows and just praying with me and, and wouldn't let go until I was done. I remember standing up and sitting in my seat because I didn't want to leave. I remember the musicians putting up their musicians, their, their instruments, and, and, and the singers putting up their mics and then leaving and, and going away. And I just kept sitting because I didn't want to leave the presence that I just felt. I remember services where I don't remember one word the preacher said, but I remember how I felt when the service was over. I wish somebody could grab hold of that and begin to blow and rekindle that fire back in their life because for so many of us, we've lost it. We've lost that fire. We've lost that passion. We've lost that desire. I'm tired of people telling me, you know, I used to do this when I was at another church. I used to do this when I was young. I used to do this when I, I, I used to work in, in kids ministry. I used to work at the greeters. I used to work with all these other groups. I used to, listen, that was in the past. What are you doing now? Why have you lost your passion? Where's that passion that you were so excited about? I don't care what we did somewhere else because people are lost and dying and going to hell today. People need Jesus today. People need healing today. People need deliverance today. Man, I'm grateful for what you did in the past. But if I stopped with where I succeeded in the past, I would have given up. I would have gone home. And how many lives would not have been changed because I stopped? If I laid down my cross and said, no more, I've gone as far as I'm going. You can't give up. You can't quit. You can't just give it in. You can't throw in the towel. You can't just get bitter and move on. you got to say, God, here am I. I'm not here even for the preacher. I'm not here for, for the youth pastor. I'm not here for anybody. I'm here for me. And God, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'm called by you and you alone. Nothing else matters. Though you could take this whole world, but just give me Jesus. Lord, I just want to push in. When's the last time you remembered the passion you felt when you were on fire for God? I'm going to pray over you, and here's what I want you to do. If you're saying, I'm running cold, maybe you're not even all the way burned out. You're just feeling a little dim this morning. You need a fresh touch. You need a fresh move of God in your life. I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Because for most of you, you know where it started was in the front. And back then, you were so moved in the spirit and the, move, and the moment that you didn't care who saw you come to the front. You didn't care who saw you cry. All you cared is being back in that presence one more time. I'm going to pray, and when I invite you, I want you to come. You don't even have to wait till the prayer says amen. If you want to come right now, you come as God leads. Father, right now, I pray over every person in this place, all the way to the balcony from the back seat all the way to the front seat. God, Lord, I believe that this church is changing. Revival is here. Lord, we've been saying something stirring for a long time, but it's here. This morning, that spirit of revival is in this place. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of renewal. Today is the day of power is moving. Today is the day of stirring. Today is the day when we get our passion back. Today is the day we fan the flames that you put in us. Today, God, today, God, I release 
your anointing in this place. Lord, I release it, Lord. I pray that you would touch everybody from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. Lord, that you would ignite fires all over this place and that this church will never be the same again. Lord, I pray that right now you're going to release people into ministry. Lord, not just here, but outside of these four walls. Lord, you're going to release adults and leaders and kids and, and, and students, Lord, all over this place into ministry to serve you. Today's the day in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That you come. I want you to come. Stir up the gifts. Don't give up. If God's moving on your heart, make your way to the front right now. If you're on the platform, you need to go down. Pray.